Hey, we're glad you guys are here. Let's get this thing adjusted. Oh, glad you're with us. Um, just a real quick note. Uh, one, Becky Muncy retired from teaching after how many years? 26 years here. She is looking forward to beginning sort of her new life, honestly. So who knows what God will do in that. And uh, Dave Fish, we've been praying for Dave for a couple of months now. He's just had a lot of health issues. And Dave Fish also graduated to a new life. Uh, he passed away from this life yesterday morning around 7 o'clock and uh, entered heaven at 7 o'clock is what I believe. So we are praying and um, and grieving with the Fish family, but we are celebrating with Dave. So um, if you remember the Fish family, keep them in your prayers. This week, probably around Monday, I was talking to someone, and they had uh, they'd gone to the hospital to get an injection. Um, and of course, when you go to the hospital, you have to fill out forms, lots, lots of forms, just identification forms telling who you are, and, and if something goes wrong, <laughs> uh, who, 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 who's going to be suing them. Um, they want to know that information, I guess. <laughs> the, uh, the person was talking about, he goes, man, I remember going to the hospital, you know, you fill out your name and your your, your address and male, female, and um, your, your ethnicity, and he goes, it's not like that anymore. There's a, there's a lot of boxes to fill out on a form. What specific gender are you? What are your preferred pronouns? What is your race? What do you identify as? And one of them was um, don't know. <laughs> uh, man, the whole issue of who we are Identity is a big one in our world today, isn't it? And we were talking, and she was sort of rolling her eyes, and I'm rolling, I know, you know. And then I read some scripture, and I'm like, oh, man, this really puts an interesting twist on my reaction to her story. We're going to read that. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 8. If you know me at all, you know I love to travel. In fact, I open about every second sermon with those words right there. I love to travel. One of the things I love about going back to places I've been is you begin to develop some identity and connection to certain places. And one of those places in Israel is this really cool place at the Wailing Wall. We've got a picture, I think, of, of the Wailing Wall. That might be familiar to you. Leave that up for, for a little bit because I want to talk about it. So the, the big giant stones are, are that western end of the Temple Mount. And above that, way, way, way much further, it's an enormous wall, is where the temple would probably, we believe, once stood. Leave it up there for a little bit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But if you notice there, do you see that sort of arch down there at the ground level? You notice that? Inside that arch is really cool. Can we see the other picture? So inside is... is packed full of these men, orthodox and conservative Jewish men, who use that as sort of a, a study center, a synagogue, where you walk in and there's these giant bookcases filled with prayer books, and, and hundreds of men will show up in the morning and, and do their morning prayers there. And I snuck in that arch the first time I went to Israel and was amazed by what I saw. I thought, this is the coolest thing. And it was just me and my group that went in. And I walked out going, I don't even think I was really supposed to be there. But that was so cool. 
So the second time I went, I had Brad Pontius with me. I said, Brad, come here. I want to show you this place. And we snuck in, and Brad got a little video. He goes, this is really, really cool. I go, I know. But we both felt like, I don't think that this is really supposed to be for us. So the third time, Alan Burris, many of you know Alan. He's preached here quite a bit. Alan and I were with us. And honestly, knowing the day we were going to be in Jerusalem, we were going to go to Temple Mount, he was all excited about Temple Mount. I said, I've got something that I think is even better than Temple Mount. I've got this really cool place I want to show you. He goes, what is it? I go, I don't, I don't want to tell you anymore. I just, want to, I just want you to experience it. And so the morning progresses, and we walk down, and we're there at, at the Wailing Wall. And, 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 I, and so we all do sort of the Wailing Wall stuff. You write your prayer down. You put it in the crevices of the stone. And I say, come here. Come here. I want to show you this. And so we're walking over to this, cap, this big opening, and we're met by one of these guys all in black with the shawl and the prayer boxes on his head or on his forehead. And he goes, no, you cannot come in here. And we're like, um, oh, I came in once before. And I'm, as I'm saying, I'm thinking, I don't know. And my, the tour guide's behind us. He goes, no, it's all right. They can go in. The guy's like, no, you cannot come in. This is not for people like we were, hindered, we were hindered from entering into a really amazing place. And it reminds me of Acts chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles open, you can read along. But for those of you who don't have Bibles, I think we've got the scriptures up here as well. We're in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start down in verse 26. And here's how it goes. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying... Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I've traveled that road. Sort of a dry, dusty road. Nothing, nothing green and beautiful to see. It's, it's, lots of, it's hilly and it's canyony and it's dusty. This is, and when he gets there, Isaac of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now he was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. I love that. I know a smattering of German. And when I try to read it just inside my head, it's a little confusing. But if I can pronounce the words out, sometimes I can understand what's being said. And I, I think of the, the Ethiopian eunuch reading out loud the prophet Isaiah. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit beside him. And the passage they're reading is this. This is at verse 32 and 33. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation... His justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. 
So the eunuch answers Philip and says, I've got a question. <laughs> Who's the prophet writing about? Is he writing this of himself or is there someone else he's referring to in this scripture? And then Philip opens his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is some water. What hinders me from being baptized? It's a great question. When I was growing up, it was always phrased this way. What hinders me from being baptized? And the emphasis was on the baptism. Or what hinders me? As in, nothing hinders you. Go be baptized. But I want to ask the question with the inflection on the me this morning. What hinders me this morning? So the question, questions are always good at revealing stuff about their about the questioner, and the question itself um, tells us a little bit something about this guy. So the eunuch, we know from the scripture, is a pretty big deal. There's every reason to believe that he's wealthy or has access to great wealth. He's certainly powerful. He's a high-ranking official. He's the secretary of the treasury in the court of Ethiopian royalty, and he's used to a certain amount of privilege because of that. Remember that. And he's traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. It's not a small journey. That's a big journey. It involves, again, <laughs> a lot of financial resources and a lot of personal effort. And the scripture says he's come to worship. So he has an interest in spiritual matters. I don't know where he heard about this God that he's come to worship. We're, we're not told that. But we're told that that he has the book of the prophet Isaiah. When you go to Jerusalem, which I hope all of you will at some point in time, on the roads leading up to and around that Temple Mount, there are, there are kiosks everywhere. The majority of them are selling cheap chotskis, little souvenirs to remind you of your trip to the Holy Land. But, but there are some that have very expensive artifacts archaeological treasures there, and those are not cheap. And, and it's possible that there, in one of those kiosks, this Ethiopian eunuch official found a scribe who was willing to write down and transcribe the book of Isaiah for him. Not a small feat, and not cheap. It was very expensive. What he's holding in his hand is worth a lot of money. But the one thing that I think <laughs> is most interesting about this guy is that he's a eunuch. Most of us know what a eunuch is, and so we won't go into details about that. But because of the surgery or the operation or the brutality that he experienced as a young child and as a young boy, there are a few things that maybe help define who he is. Physically, he is not the same as other men. Castration changes the way the hormones work in the body, and, and it prevents you not just from having children of your own, future generations who will remember you, but it, it changes the way your body develops. And so 
you look different. The hormones, the testosterone, all of that changes the way he would physically have looked. And socially, he is different. Because they could be trusted not to violate women, eunuchs were usually given charge over the women's sections of a palace. They were trusted with the women of the royal household. And so they spent the majority of their life with women. And no offense to women, but spending only time with women will, af will affect you socially. He's affected emotionally and mentally. Because he is not female, but he is not fully male. And so he lives in sort of this in-between world in his culture. He fits neither here nor there. And while in Ethiopia he is just different, in Jerusalem he is considered unclean. Because if he had been reading the book of Deuteronomy instead of the book of Isaiah, he would have read there that no eunuchs are allowed into the temple. They are forbidden from worshiping there. So I wonder if he, like Alan and I, got to the gates and the person there at the gate judging to see if he was worthy to go in and experience this amazing atmosphere of worship, looked at him and said, no, this is not for you. There's still a lot of segregation in Jerusalem. In fact, the city itself is divided up into the Jewish section, the Arab section, the Christian section, the Armenian section. You go to the Wailing Wall and there's the men's section and there's the women's section. The women go over here, the men go over here. But in the time of Jesus, in the time of Philip, in the time of this Ethiopian eunuch, the temple itself would have been highly segregated. If you read about how the temple was constructed and the rules regarding it, you'll recall that there's this center, very center section that is only for the Levites, only for them, only they can go in. And then there's a section outside of that where only men can go. And then there's a courtyard after that where only women can go. And then outside of that, it's called the Court of the Gentiles. And that's where everyone else, the leftovers, if you will, are allowed to hang out. And scriptures tell us that this is where Jesus actually spent a lot of his time, in the Court of the Gentiles, where he taught and preached Acts tells us that the early Christians gathered in this court of the Gentiles together for worship and to pray with each other. It was for everyone else. Gentiles covers the gamut. Everyone except Jews were required to stay right there. Any place else, they would say, no, you're not welcome here. This is not for you. You don't look like us. You don't sound like us. You don't dress like us. You're too different. You just don't belong. And so the Ethiopian, sadly, turns around, takes his scroll, and heads for home. Can I just tell you that I am so glad that the Holy Spirit directed him to have the scroll of Isaiah written for his reading 
instead of the scroll, the scroll of Deuteronomy. <laughs> because in Deuteronomy, he would have read there something that made him feel unwelcome. But in Isaiah, he reads <laughs> so many things that say, no, no, you're welcome. In Isaiah 57, verse 9, here's what the Lord says. Peace, peace to those far and those near. And in Isaiah 56, it says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I love that. As he's reading the scriptures, I wonder if he says to himself, Someday there'll be a way for me to go into the house of the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit sends Philip. Now, Philip's another interesting guy. I think if God could have chosen anyone to meet up with that Ethiopian eunuch, I just can't imagine he could have picked someone better than Philip. And you go, well, who, who is this guy? I'm glad you asked. You need to know about Philip. Acts chapter 21 says he's the father of four daughters. God has entrusted four daughters to him, and not just any daughters, four very unique daughters. The scripture calls them prophetesses. Now, guys, I don't know how you would feel if you make a new best friend, and then you realize he has four daughters. Oh, congratulations. Not so much in Jewish culture. That's a lot of financial responsibility to have four daughters. But then you find out, oh yeah, what do they do? Well, they're prophetesses. And I try to think of myself as not sexist, but when I hear of four women prophetesses, I can't help but culturally my eyes go, oh, hmm, that's interesting. And if I think that way, can you imagine what the other men in Philip's life thought? He, he must have felt sort of the side eyes and the glances at the other guys in the room as they tried to sort out, okay, who is this guy with four daughters who are prophetesses? He must have felt other than, different from the other guys. And unlike the rest of the early Christian leaders, I suspect he wasn't fully Jewish either because his name, Philip, is a Greek name. And like Timothy, if you remember, Timothy had a Greek name as well. And Timothy, mother was Jewish, father was Greek. And so, and so Philip might have also been sort of a half-breed. He didn't fit with those groups. In addition, he was from out of town. And living in a small town, you know what it's like when out-of-towners come. And you go, now, uh, who were you? Who are your parents? Where did you go to school? Were you a, were you a need more topper? Were you a bearcat? Were you a farmer? Who, who, who are you? And Philip says, uh, I'm, I'm from out of town. <laughs> I didn't grow up here. Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up on the West Coast. What? You grew up in Caesarea. Caesarea is on the West Coast of Israel. And we all know what those folks from the West Coast are like, don't we? Philip had to know what it was like to not really belong. 
And then he's living in Jerusalem. He's leading the church. And, and then persecution breaks out against the Christians. And, and the Jewish leaders say, you got to get out. We don't want you here in our town anymore. Philip knows what it's like to be told, get out. This place is not for you. But I love Philip. Because Philip didn't allow his otherness to define him. He didn't let his difference keep him from following and obeying God. In fact, seems like he embraced that. And because he embraced it, God was able to use that otherness in Philip to reach others. Others specifically who might have been pushed away or ignored by the normals. <laughs> in Acts chapter 6, calls Philip a deacon. And this story comes about when there are racial and ethnic tensions dividing the church. The Greeks are becoming more populous in the assembly of the saints than the Jews. And the Jews are suddenly in the minority here, and, and it shows up in the way they treat the most vulnerable among them, their widows. And so in attempting to address this issue, they ask Philip, who's sort of a neither here nor there leader, to step in and say, can you, can you help resolve this issue? Philip made sure that no one was left out. And then in Acts chapter 8, Philip knows what Jesus said about the Samaritans. He also knows what the culture around him feels about the Samaritans. But he says, okay, Jesus said to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you guys are going to focus on Jerusalem and Judea where you feel comfortable and this is your culture, that's great. But I'm going to go to Samaria. And he goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel and preaches powerfully in that place. And so when God needs someone to meet a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch, on the road going back home, of course, who's he going to send? He's not going to send Peter. <laughs> no, Peter's not for this job. He sends Philip. And Philip gets the opportunity to share with this Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus. I wonder what he shared. Do you ever think about that? Did he explain the prophecy around Jesus' birth in Isaiah chapter 7, 14? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel? Did Philip explain God's plan for the world in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1? The sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Maybe he talked about Jesus and his death, which had just happened not too long before, but was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And I tell you, can you just for a moment put yourself in the place of that Ethiopian eunuch 
and maybe capture his memories of his youth. And so when he reads about Jesus being led as a sheep to the slaughter, did he identify with that little lamb being led away? When he reads that Jesus opened not his mouth, and in his humiliation, justice was taken away, did he, did he identify with what it meant to have no voice and no control over your life? Did he, did he identify with the humiliation and something precious being taken away from you forever? And when, and when that passage from Isaiah says, who will declare his generations? Did he think about the fact that, that his generations have been destroyed? There will be no one to carry on his name after him. Ah, so when he says, is he talking about himself or is he talking about me? <laughs> Philip says he's talking about Jesus. And he takes Philip, I just have to believe, to Isaiah 40 verse 11 where he says this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. And for someone who had always struggled with his place in the world and what it could offer and even what it meant to belong, this passage must have caused him to catch his breath. In Isaiah chapter 56, 3, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Because God says this, I will give them within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Oh, and the eunuch reads that and he goes, what prevents me from being baptized? Even me? Oh, I'm weeping now just thinking about it. I can't imagine what Philip and this eunuch are experiencing there. As Philip looks at him, he says, nothing, nothing is prohibiting you from doing this. Nothing is hindering you from doing this. He says, just, just believe with all your heart. And the, and the Ethiopian says, I, I do. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I don't know where you're at this morning whether there's something in you that says, is this for me? And I want to tell you, yes, it is. And you say, well, what about this and this and this? And I'm telling you, nothing hinders you from coming into God's family. Nothing. Our core verse this week is from Acts chapter 2. Where Peter, preaching to the multitudes that have heard the gospel, preached to them in a language that they finally understand. He says this. <laughs> they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive 
Ah, the gift of the Holy Spirit. In that passage is a command and a promise. Repent. Turn from whatever it is that's keeping you from loving and knowing God. Turn away from that. I don't need to make a list of your sin. You know your list, don't you? You know the things that keep you from God. And Peter says, turn away from that. Repent and be baptized. That's the command. And the promise is this, that we can be reborn with a new identity. So much of our sin is tied up into our identity. And usually it's trying to prove something to ourselves or to others or to God that we're good enough, that we're strong enough, that we're right enough. Trying to prove to those voices in our heads that we're not what the voices in our heads tell us we are. You can't tell me what to do, we say. And that rebellion leads to sin. But here's the truth. When we are unclean, the guy at the gate is right. We can't enjoy the presence of of God, as both he and we would wish. And like the Ethiopian, there's really not much we can do on our own to change that. He's never not going to be a eunuch, and he's never not going to be an Ethiopian. <laughs> That's just it. But the amazing promise is this, that when we come into Christ, and baptism is a beautiful picture of this, we are reborn. We are new creations. We get a new identity. What box do we check off? It's no longer, I don't know. It's, I am a child of God. You know, too many times when we talk about baptism, it gets reduced to really questions of mechanics. Do you know what I mean? How should I be baptized, dunked or sprinkled or dipped? Or when should I be baptized? How young? How old? Who should baptize me? <laughs> the big one, am I saved before or after? And those are all, I guess, interesting questions. But I think if we focus on the mechanics, we miss this beautiful meaning in baptism. And the picture of baptism that we see in the story of Philip and the eunuch is this. Baptism is where we embrace this new identity we have in Jesus. Last week, we remember, we talked about Titus. And Titus described our lives before Christ this way. He says, you were foolish, you were disobedient, you were deceived, <laughs> you were enslaved, you, were, you, were, you had malice and anger towards people, you hated and you were hated. That's what life outside of Christ really looks like. But Galatians points to this beautiful picture of this new identity in Christ. And he says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 29. He says, in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself now with Christ. There's a new identity. And now there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We don't divide the world up that way. There's neither slave nor free. We no longer divide the world up that way. There's neither male nor female. We don't divide the world up that way. Instead, we remember that we are all one in 
Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs to God's promise. And he says, get in here. You belong here. My mother has this tradition. When people come to the house, I don't know if it's a tradition or if she just does it without even thinking. I suspect she does it without thinking. When people come to the house for dinner, she will do her best to be on the front porch when they get out of their car. So she can say real loud, I'm so glad you're here. Get in. Get in here. And you know that whatever's on the other side of that door is for you. So to any who say, I'm, I'm not sure I belong. There's too many ways where my differences are going to stick out, and you're going to notice, and it's going to get awkward and uncomfortable, and it's probably just better if I keep my distance, and you guys do the church thing and, and the Jesus thing, and I'm just going to stay out here and do my best to make it on my own. And Jesus says, no, no, get in here, get in here, this is for you. Next week, we're going to have the baptistry ready again. For anyone who wishes to be baptized, and I'm going to do my best to get the name right. I'm so thankful that God knows Charlie's name and is not waiting on me for introductions. If you think the Holy Spirit, if you believe the Holy Spirit, if you feel the Holy Spirit is calling you to be baptized, get in here. Let me know. We're going to make that happen. Today, if you're a believer, you have the spirit of Jesus, the same spirit that led that Ethiopian to pick up the scroll of Isaiah, the same spirit that caused that Ethiopian to leave Ethiopia and go to Jerusalem, the same spirit that led him back down the road, and the same spirit that prompted Philip to go to that road, and the same spirit that told, told, told Philip to say, hey, I know he doesn't look like you. I know he doesn't dress like you. There's probably going to be some sort of communication and language barrier. But Philip, I want you to run up and see what I'm going to do if you say yes. If the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit is in you, then I'm going to promise you this. God wants to entrust these special, special people to you, these lambs that he wants to embrace, and he's going to use you to do it. They need to know his love. And they may not look like you. They may not sound like you. They may not act like you. They may not think like you. And there may be things that make you just go, oh, I can't believe it. But God says, no, 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 that's not my spirit in you. The spirit that I have in you says this, God loves them, and he wants above all else for them to know that he loves them. And he's going to use you in their life just as he used someone else in your life. Will you be ready when that happens? I'm going to pray. And we're going to pray that he does. We're going to share in a time of communion here in just a moment. And as we do, as we take the bread and the cup, we remember that we too were far away and God brought us near. And we're going to thank him for that. Let's pray. Father, in this world that we live in, we constantly need to remind ourselves that our struggle is not against people. It's not against people that look different than us, that think different than us, 
that act different than us. That's not our struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People are not the problem. When we forget that, we recognize that we can reject you when we reject others. And so we pray that you would check our spirits this week. We look forward to the day when together with with all the saints, surrounded by those from every tongue, tribe, and nation, we experience what it means to truly be part of this incredibly diverse family of God. And Father, this, this morning we commit this week to listening intently for your Holy Spirit who will speak into our lives opportunities to, to love and commit to loving those who need to be led to you. Help us do that well. May we be like Philip, ready to respond. May we be like that Ethiopian eunuch, ready to hear. And may the things that separate us become less and less and less as we are more deeply united into Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.